Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Mike Procy. Mike is an entrepreneur, facilitator, innovator, and problem solver. Working in the Calgary energy sector, Mike strives to build the innovation ecosystem and community. From his volunteer position on the Strategic Capability Network, where he founded the Calgary Innovation Peer Forum, to pursuing his DBA in winter 2024, focused on innovation, Mike is pushing the thinking on what it means to be a corporate innovation practitioner. Let's join Mike for an innovative chat with his guest, Alexander Osterwalder. Take it away, Mike. Excellent. Hello and welcome, everyone. I'm very pleased today to have Alexander Osterwalder on the Innovation Podcast for today. If you have not heard about Strategizer, which Alex is CEO and founder of, then honestly, you're probably not working in corporate innovation. If by some chance you haven't heard of Strategizer, you or somebody in your organization have likely already been utilizing their books The Invincible Company, High Impact Tools for Teams, Testing Business Ideas, Value Proposition Design, and Business Model Generation, which are utilized all over the place from startups right to large organizations. Alex, how are you doing this morning? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Excited excited to have you on the podcast. We'll uh, jump right into things because I know the listeners are excited to hear from you. Can you tell us a little bit about Strategizer and how you help businesses innovate? Yeah, so we help mainly established large companies build growth engines, right? Help them rejuvenate their business models, come up with new value propositions, but do that systematically. And there are a couple of myths we have to break there. There's some beliefs in innovation that are simply not true. So we come in, we build the growth engine, but always with the goal to make them autonomous so that they can get rid of us. Nobody wants consultants in the house. (laughs) We build the capacity there in the system And what we leave behind is programs and platforms so that they can systematically do it on our uh, uh, platform of strategizers. So they autonomously start to innovate because at the end of the day, companies know, people in companies know what to do. But today we don't necessarily have those processes set up to do that systematically. We don't have the systems to scale innovation. Amazing. And we have talked a lot previously on the podcast as well about how when you are looking to build that culture of innovation, it needs to start with just that a culture. So I love what you're saying about like it being owned by employees for employees and running forward with that. You talked a little bit and touched on myths around innovation. What is the biggest challenge you challenges you see for large organizations when they're trying to innovate? So I'll take the first biggest myth and then I'll give you the biggest challenge, right? But so, so people think it's all about the idea. Just, I just need to find a great idea and then I'll execute, right? And that's why we have these business plans and beautiful PowerPoint decks. But you know, Scott Cook, the founder of Intuit, he likes to say behind every big failure, we had a beautiful spreadsheet. Mm. So it's not about the ideas. Ideas are free. They're everywhere. It's about iterating, adapting those ideas until they work. Or if you see they're not going to work, you kill them, right? So we need a completely different approach to innovation than we have in execution. So that brings me to the biggest challenge. The biggest myth is all about ideas. There are a couple of other myths, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about the idea. 
It's about the process of adapting your ideas until they create value for customers and value for your business. And many won't, right? So it's okay. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing is that Companies are set up to execute, to manage an existing business model well. And the best companies are really good at managing their companies, managing their business model. They know the customers, they have great quality, great services. Everything is optimized, you know, Mm -hmm. wonderful processes. No more fat, no more. Like the problem is that it's impossible to use the exact same processes, metrics, systems, even skills to do innovation is actually the contrary. If what's happening today is companies are world-class at execution, so they apply the same rules to innovation, to exploration. Mm. They say, oh, let's pick an idea. And then we just need to be good at execution. Well, the problem is that innovation works differently, has a different culture, different process, different metrics, different skills. So it's not that one is more important than the other. You need to create these two cultures under the same roof and you need to integrate them so they're not in competition. So we call this the dual mindset. You need to be able to do both and both need to coexist. And I don't know if you had Steve Blank on, on the podcast, but he likes to say, you know, he invented the whole lean startup methodology. Eric Ries, who was a student, made it popular. He likes to say, execution pays the salaries. Innovation pays the pension. So mm-hmm. they have to coexist. You can't prioritize one over the other. It's and. If you want a future, it's and. And you can't innovate yourself alone to the future. You need to run your business, right? You need to do both. Yeah, and and you have to keep both those strong. And as an employee, both the ongoing salary and the pension are both strong motivators. So I know they likely want to see their their organizations going after both. You mentioned the dual mindset. And I've oftentimes in speaking with leaders, individuals, they very quickly know intuitively, well, we don't want the entire organization like going this way. Do you have a golden ratio or anything like that in terms of innovators or what you've seen or is it dependent on yeah. any organization? So so first of all, I think, you know, when we say dual, people often think dual organization. And we were actually trying to find the right word. But when we say dual, sometimes we think, oh, innovation lives over there and then execution lives over here. So we almost think of it two separate buildings, right? Mm. But that's wrong. The way we need to think about this is the same person, let's just take the CEO, right? Mm -hmm. On one meeting, you're working with the supply chain team. You're purely in execution. You can't have a minute of downtime because you're going to lose money. Mm -hmm. Then five minutes later, you're working with a new product team or even a breakthrough innovation team. Everything changes. You need to flip that switch and think Oh, different questions, different processes, different yardsticks for that team. So rather than asking, oh, are you on plan and on budget with this new product? You're going to ask, what did we learn? Do customers actually care? Should we continue to invest or should we kill this project? Because you have 20, 200 innovation projects running, most of them on small budgets, and you only invest when you learn more. So it's that mindset shift. Now, that just doesn't just go for the CEO. Maybe you have a supply chain manager who needs to start to build small batches to experiment. So they have to say, oh, wow, I'm going to have to turn down my supply chain and pause execution. Potentially, that could mean I'm losing millions. But at the same time, if I don't make these small batches, the innovation team can experiment and I'm not going to build a future. So Mm. everybody needs this ability to understand execution innovation. And the innovators need to understand, well, guess what? 
execution needs to hum. There's a reason sometimes why they don't want to give us access to clients. Let's figure out how can we get to common ground. So it's not as simple as lives here or it lives there. Or even worse, sometimes people say, everybody needs to be an innovator. Absolutely not. <laughs> like you don't want yeah. the people who are running a supply chain to be too crazy. You want them, you know, on target. So yeah. we need this dual mindset. And then yes, you'll have some who are innovators and you'll have some who are pure executors, but put this in place. It's a little bit more complex than just saying those live over here. These live over here. It's across the board, but not everybody needs to be innovated. We need this dual mindset. And then you set up a structure. But now mm -hmm. since simple rules are always easier to explain, let me give you the simple rule. Yeah. My rule is at least 10% of the entire staff needs to work on innovation. Okay. Because innovation is the future. Like companies have a sales team. Sales team is all about making revenues today. Innovation is all about making revenues tomorrow. So mm. if you have, you know, I see global giants, like billions and billions, 100 billion revenue, and they have small teams working innovation. That the only message there is, I don't care about the future because I'm only, you know, have 0.0001% of my employees working on innovation. That can't be. A and the last thing, okay. <laughs> I'll pause here, is we mix up R&D and innovation. So people will say, ah, but I already have, you know, a thousand people working in R&D. R&D is not innovation. R&D is technology and products. <laughs> now, that may help innovation, but innovation is very simple. It's about creating value for customers and creating value for your business and potentially mm. creating value for your employees. And that may or may not use technology. So a big R&D budget doesn't mean a company is able to innovate. IBM is a great example. They have, still have probably the highest patent filing rate on the planet, and they always win that category. But you know what? IBM has been terrible at innovation. They haven't been able to reinvent themselves since uh, Lou Gerstner, right? So, so there you have a good example of a large R&D budget, large R&D team that is unable to innovate because the, the company is not set up to create new business value and reinvent their business model. And, and I love that simple definition of innovation as well, creating value for customers, businesses, and employees. That, that's probably the best way to look at it. Uh, and, so, and, and stakeholders, right? So normally you would yeah. add that one because I do believe companies have a role to play in society. So I like those kind of four dimensions, customer, business, uh, the team, the employees, and then the overall kind of stakeholders around the business as well. Yes, love that. So as, as we're thinking about large organizations, then it can feel daunting. It can feel intimidating, especially if you are part of those organizations, you know, large R&D, but you're worried about your future. What is the top recommendation for large organizations when innovating? <laughs> so there's one ground rule. You get that one right, all the rest is going to fall into place, right? And it's actually very simple. I like to say that the CEO needs to spend 40 to 60% of their time on innovation. Mm -hmm. Now people say, ah, that sounds crazy, right? And the CEO doesn't have time. Okay, well, if you don't have time for the future, so be it. You're not investing in the future. That's okay. That's a choice. If you want innovation, you need to spend time on innovation. And to a certain extent, it doesn't even matter that much what the CEO does. It's the symbolic value of the top leadership is spending time on innovation. Now, the reality is, of course, what does the CEO do? Pick the ideas? Absolutely not. The CEO has the job of creating that dual mindset across the company, creating the culture, creating the system. That can only happen top down. Innovation itself is bottom up, 
But you know what? Bottom up can't work without top down. So if you do not have a CEO who spends 40% of their time on innovation, change the company. If you have innovation in your, in your job title and you're working at a company where the CEO spends zero time on innovation, you're better off changing your job right now because that company will not innovate at scale. Now, they might do incremental innovation, new technologies to improve a product, et cetera. That you'll always get. But what you will not get is substantially new value propositions or even a reinvention of the business model or a broader business model portfolio. You do need to have that top down so that bottom up can work. Ideas are always bottom up or you know, depends a bit. There's always exceptions. But innovation is bottom up, comes from anywhere in the company, but the systems building is top down. And without the right system, you will not have innovators that can thrive. So today... <laughs> Everybody who's in innovation knows their corporate antibodies from everywhere. Mm, yeah. Except if you're in a company that built a system with this dual mindset where innovation, we call that exploration, and managing, we call that ex exploitation, where they coexist in harmony. When you have that, anybody can innovate and you have strict rules of how you're going to kill a project before overfunding it. So you're not going to get zombie projects. And, and with your experience with Strategizer, obviously leading, helping corporate innovation programs right across the globe, what are some of the most successful corporate innovation programs and initiatives you've seen? Who are doing this well and how? Yeah, so obviously you have the usual suspects, right? So like if you're talking business model innovation, a company that's that has been able to reinvent itself all the time and create an amazing business model portfolio, guess what comes up top? It's Amazon, right? So mm. you can love or hate Amazon for whatever reason, they are world-class at innovation. And again, innovation doesn't mean that much. There's efficiency innovation, better processes, there's sustaining innovation, new value propositions. And then there's the more breakthrough innovation, which is new business models. Well, it turns out Amazon plays across all three categories extremely well. Sometimes they self-disrupt with new business models. Sometimes they build business models that are an extension. Remember, Amazon Web Services, crazy, right? Now they're investing in advertising. That's an, the most profitable business model they've ever invented, right? So, so they're just really good at it. Why is that? Because from the top down, you have that systems building so that bottom up, innovators can thrive. So Jeb Bezos, when he was CEO, he always had this mantra, <laughs> you know, Amazon is the best place to fail. What is that? What did he want to say with that? You cannot build a new warehouse and fail. <laughs> You'll get fired. But if you want to explore, this is the place. And in exploration, you'll fail, you know, 99 out of 100 times, really bold explorations are going to fail. But why do we have Amazon Web Services? And why did we get Alexa and, and all that? Because there's a place for innovators to start. So that's one. And then, you know, China's not the most favorite topic these days, but there is a company there that admire how they did this, how they built the system, which is called Ping'an. Ping'an is a, a banking and uh, an insurance conglomerate. And they were not a native technology company. They're not an internet company, but they said, or their founder, Peter Ma said, if we do not change, we will die. Traditional mm -hmm. banking and insurance so what did they do? They hired a lady called Jessica Tan, and her task was to build this innovation ecosystem. And Peter Mazed told her when she started her job, Jessica, you're going to fail. Like, that's a great way to start your job. Your mm -hmm. boss tells you the first day you're going to fail. But what he meant is try as many times as possible 
do it the right way so that the winning ideas can emerge. And that doesn't mean splashing out, you know, 10 million, $100 million on each project. No, it means creating a portfolio of which some ideas will win and some ideas will use. So we need to actually take the best of the venture capital world, spreading our bets. It's exactly what venture capitalists do and bring that into corporations. And that at scale, Ping An did that really well. Uh, a German example that I like, again, a big company is Bosch. So Bosch mm-hmm. built a whole funnel of innovation projects and the goal was to come up with new business models. So over three years, they invested in over 200 projects. But after three months, they would always ask, is there enough evidence to continue? Should we invest more? Mm. And if there was no evidence after three months, they would kill the project. So they axed over 70% of projects after three months. And it was okay. The teams even themselves said, there's no evidence. Let's stop. So there was mm. no, it wasn't subjective. It was objective. So 25% approximately of the projects got follow-up funding, and then they went to build MVPs, right? So they built this system where, at the end, they said they had a 10% success rate, investing in 200 to start, then weeding out over two phases to get 10 winners. They said that's exactly how innovation works. Not every idea is going to be a winner. That's why I'm saying ideas doesn't matter. It's not about picking ideas. It's about creating a system where the winning ideas and teams can emerge, just like in the startup world, with slight differences, of course, because you're talking employees, but it's exactly the same logic. You do not know what's going to work. You're going to create a system with the right investments and gates so that the 10% of best ideas and teams will emerge. You don't pick them. You build the system so that they can prove themselves. It's exactly what you do in entrepreneurship. Yeah, I, I love that. You're letting you're letting the actual idea quality speak for itself and get through. And that re- that releases a lot of the subjectivity that I've heard in previous innovation programs like, oh, this is, you know, favorite VPs or CEOs pet project or something like that. Yes. Now everybody's being held to the same standard with the same yeah. yardstick. So you yeah. see your ideas going through appropriately and you know when to cut them off, which is extremely tough. There are two things that are interesting to point out. Right? The one thing you said is like, okay, is it, a, is it good to be the CEO's pet project? Actually not. And you know why? Because nobody's going to tell the CEO you're ugly, your baby's ugly. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. So the point is what happens is Pet projects, so we call these lighthouse projects, sometimes it's the CEO, sometimes it's some corporate executive, they get a lot of funding and then nobody will ask them because A, they were financed substantially. So anybody who was managing that is going to lose face. Mm. So what happens is they stay alive. So what you get is zombie projects. So when I do a conference, like I have you know hundreds or thousands of people in the room, I always ask, how many of you today are working on a project that nobody wants. Customers don't want the product. They don't like the business model. And hands always go up. Yeah. So why? Yes. Why would anybody work on something that nobody wants? Well, the point is actually because we invest in ideas and then execute them to the market and then mm-hmm. learn way too late that customers don't want it. And the people, here's the paradox. The people who are in the projects actually already know it's not going to work. But nobody's going to, you know, nobody has the legitimacy to kill that project because it was, you know, an idea that we invested in. And we have execution kind of timelines. We need to stay on budget and on time to build something nobody wants. So you need completely different processes. So at any time, ideas that nobody wants get killed. So you need to come up over phases first with customer evidence. 
then with solution evidence, then with acquisition evidence, then with business model evidence. So at every stage, it's the evidence that qualifies if the idea is going to get killed or not. And then the important thing to point out is a spreadsheet is not evidence. It's a fantasy made explicit because people sometimes, this is a real case, big beverage company, one of the top two beverage companies in the world. They say, we have evidence. Well, what do you have? We make spreadsheets at the beginning of the project. That's not evidence. That's a fantasy made explicit. You do pricing experiments. Now the spreadsheet has evidence that supports it, right? You talk to customers, willingness to pay. That's evidence. Spreadsheet is a fantasy made explicit, just like a business plan. Yes. Yeah. So we, we've talked about a few things so far, kind of bringing it all together in an arc and, and, and leaving our listeners with the one thing they can do in their day to day. But we hit on, you know, the importance of CEO 40 to 60% of their time, letting the ideas run for themselves. If you do happen to find yourself in an organization, and I know some of our listeners may be in this situation where, you know, they want to be extremely innovative, they've read all the books and everything, they might be battling, you know, against a corporate, a corporate hill or something like that. What are the certain things that they can do individually in their day to day to still live this mindset to still show people that there's a better way, and to still maybe incorporate a little bit of the innovation mindset, as you say, into their organization? Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll start with what not to do. So I have an extreme allergy against innovators that call themselves pirates or rebels. And Mm. I'll tell you why. Because because what do we historically do with pirates and rebels? We kill them. So if you call yourself a rebel or a pirate, I'm an innovation rebel. Well, you just gave everybody in the organization, you know, you put yourself yourself a target on the back. So don't do that. What you want to do And again, sometimes this works and it doesn't, but it's very surprising. So first thing, you want to start with the basics. So when I talk to senior leaders or leaders, even to teams, I always start with the very basic thing. In a company, we have two worlds. We have the exploit world, managing the existing business. We have the explore world, inventing the future. And it's it's a spectrum, right? Again, efficiency innovation is closer to exploit. New value propositions kind of in the middle. New business models is very much on the left and explore. And you need to explain in a very simple way what changes. How are the rules different? Not just, oh, fail fast. Like that's too light, right? It's the processes. One is metrics driven. One one is evidence driven. One is more planning driven, right? You invest in evidence, small amounts at the beginning in an execution project, big amounts. So just start to have that conversation because what I've learned is this dual mindset doesn't exist in people's heads. So when I talk to CEOs and I talk about exploit and explore and the dual mindset, the lights go on. So they kind of had a feeling, yeah, innovation is different, but they don't know how. Mm. How is it different? So guess what they're going to do? They're going to say it's different, but they're going to apply the rules of exploit, right? Because that's the world they know. But the moment you start to say, Here are how the rules are different. Innovation is not about no rules. There's a process. This is actually just as much process as in exploit, but completely different processes. It's not about the creative genius. It's a whole process of how do you go from idea to real business and so on. So you want to make that clear. Now, sometimes you can't do that internally. So you could either bring in somebody. I often go into companies to do that with senior leadership teams, or you bring in peers. That's the best Mm. thing. Bring in another CEO who can explain that to you. How does innovation work at their company? Or a business leader, what, you know, who's the person who most resembles your boss that you need to influence? Mm-hmm. So that, that's what really works is first creating the foundation. Because what we need to accept 
is that if we are innovators and we're in an organization, 99% of the organization is geared to execute. So we need to understand that's the world that drives these people. That's their job description. Mm-hmm. Help them understand how innovation is different, but then also help them understand how could innovation fit into their world. So rather than trying to convince somebody, try to explain to them, this is why you have an, an interest. So when I talk to CEOs, I don't say you have to do this. I say, if you want innovation, this is what you'd have to do. Mm-hmm. So a good way to do this is often say, hey, I go, I work with a board of directors or with a senior leadership team. And I say, write down your five favorite innovations over the last three years, put them on sticky notes. And now put them up you know, on the wall in categories. What's efficiency innovation? So incremental improvements of your processes, maybe a new mm-hmm. feature. What is sustaining innovation, new value propositions, put your sticky notes in that category. And what is really breakthrough innovation that is going to position you positively for the next five to 10 years? Guess what happens? All the sticky notes are in the efficiency innovation. Mm, So then I ask them, is that what you want? I don't tell them that's wrong. You have to do breakthrough innovation because that's not true. I just ask them, if you expect breakthrough innovation, well, look, look at your results. You don't have any. If you're okay with continuing to improve a business model, just the efficiency, that's okay. But if you're in an industry that is changing and it's likely that value propositions and business models are changing, if you only invest in technology to make your business model better, you're going to more efficiently die. (laughs) So I provoked them a little bit to say, is that what you want? And you know what? At the end of the day, they just never thought about these categories because in their mind, we invested in R&D. We're, we're looking, you know, we're exploring AI, but AI to improve a dying business model is not going to save you, right? So sometimes we get blinded by crazy, complex and new technology and forget if you're just going to improve a dying business model, even the best technology won't save you. So that's what the kind of stuff you use, you can use these tactics to convince leaders. But if they don't want to, they don't want to. You need to change your job. Absolutely. And we might wrap it up right there, Alex, because I think that's a that's a good one to leave it on with a lot of great thoughts. Thanks again, Alex, for your time here discussing. Again, Alex Osterwalder, CEO and founder of Strategizer. If you haven't picked up the Invincible Company, testing business ideas, high impact tools for teams, value proposition design, or business model generation, be sure, be sure to do so. And thanks again, Alex. Have a great day. Thanks for doing the advertising for me. I should hire you on the spot. (laughs) If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. NIM helps new software developers, UI UX designers, and product managers gain mentored hands-on industry experience. And at the same time, we provide companies with risk-free tech talent. Definitely a win-win-win situation. Visit newideamachine.com for more information. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>